04. It's only 604 here. <laughs> 804. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> you guys are just in the wrong time. <laughs> yeah, in the US, the world revolves around Eastern time, for unfortunately. It does. That's right. That's silly. <laughs> Hey, I'm impressed with uh, Shark Bite. Speaking of uh, digital FPV, oh yeah, I, yeah, I was I was hoping that it would be okay, and it was it's better than I than I had hoped. So it's it's not quite as bright and uh, dense as uh, DJI, which I certainly didn't expect it to be, but it's not bad at all. There you go. It's not, yeah, it's. It it's an easy decision. Yeah, I will never use analog again at this point. I'll just I'll just convert. And well, I've got some on DJI, and and a bunch will be uh, um, Shark Bite. Go. All right, let's get started. Um, so welcome everybody. Uh, my name is Cujo or Josh. That's so Dan, Dave, and Alex over there. Uh, hopefully my pointing went to the right people. Um, but uh, if not, I'm sure you can figure out who's who. Um, so I do have a couple articles for tonight. Uh, last time we met, it was a little dry in terms of actual articles, but uh, we had some other interesting things to talk about. But first off, um, did anybody get to catch the uh, safe, uh, Drone Safety Awareness Week um, YouTube streams that were... Uh, on uh, freestyle racing and um, uh, modeling. traditional modeling. Um, I thought they turned out really well. Uh, seemed like each video uh, kind of had a fairly decent live viewership. Um, most of the time it was around in the 200. So, yeah, I feel um, like the that... first one might have had the biggest audience. It did. I, I yeah. think it, it both had a big audience and was conflicting with Joshua Bardwell's live stream, but I think. It kind mm -hmm. of worked out in our, you know, our favor that it was talked about on Joshua's live stream, and a lot of people started watching it because of that. Shifting over, yeah. So apologies to to Joshua. Um, we didn't mean to steal your viewership, but um, I think it was for a good cause, and I feel like um, it uh, put forth that the FAA is genuinely interested in what the hobbyists have to say. And I think more than that, anything... Uh, more than anything, that was uh, the good part. And I feel like the the conversations were really well. And the first one, if you haven't had a chance to uh, check it out, um, actually had... Um, uh, Jay? Jay Merkel. Thank you, Jay Merkel, um, on there that uh, was answering some questions, including a couple um, pretty heavy ones from Drew from Rotor. And that was a total so, surprise to... Everyone except Everybody. Jay and Alina. Mm -hmm. I think they're about the only yeah. two who had any clue that it was going to happen. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and modesty aside, you guys set this up, and so you you set up and helped set up and decided, hey, this should be a we should have a freestyle night and RC night and a racing night, and wouldn't it be great if we could do an, an exhibit race? So my hats off to uh, uh, to you, Josh and Dan and Alex for pulling this off, and it's. Uh, of course, it was with the FAA, and our thanks to uh, Greg of uh, Pilot Institute for hosting the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, that that was us. So yeah, there wasn't nice, a whole lot of flashy FPVFC logos or graphics or anything with it. We we were all behind the scenes, just you know, working in <laughs> in the back room trying to make things happen. Yeah, and, and we not were really working taking for... all the credit for it. No, and, you know, it wasn't about that. I think it was, you know, we put in a couple months worth of effort to kind of get to that point. Um, and uh, meeting with Alina and, and whatnot. So she was very gracious and uh, kind of uh, accepted, you know, some of the things we had to say. Um, and we look forward to working with her um, for next year's uh, kind of events. And... Um, I think she's trying to do things a little different for next year. We'll see how that works out. Um, but more so than just one week, uh, we're looking at uh, maybe some events, a, a couple of events per month. Um, 
So we're going to start planning that uh, with her um, pretty quick here. Uh, I think we're meeting with her next week, and um, and, and we'll we'll we're literally starting planning for next year already. So and even though she, most of the time she was the only FAA representative visible on the stream, she talked about the FAA in general was monitoring it, watching the chat. I don't know who or how many people, but hopefully there's a there bunch more people. There are at least two others in the background on each of them, and I'm not sure how many they looked at ap looked sure. at it afterwards either, but yeah. Well, I, well, it was just superb that Jay Merkel was there because that's her boss's boss's boss. So when that happens, everyone uh, in the organization is like, geez, maybe we should, let's take a look at that. <laughs> so that's just, that couldn't, you know, that was great help to us on the FAA side. Um, so, um, if you haven't had a chance to check it out, go to the Pilot Institute's, uh, web, uh, YouTube page and, um, you can check out all those I'm videos. I'm guessing well. Alex is grabbing a link right now. From That's what his I'm eyes are moving around. <laughs> <laughs> How could Thanks. you guys guess? Thanks for the backup. Were, back <laughs> you were on the ball in posting links in the chat during a lot of those meetings too. Yeah. yeah, and I saw that. Well, I was getting those like at this. I was searching for them at the same time too. <laughs> so, um, moving on from that, uh, we do have this. Uh, this is kind of a, a article. This is kind of for comic comic relief here. Um, so this comes from the Chicago uh, Tribune, and they're talking about the best FPV drone. Um, so they go through and, uh, talk about what an FPV drone is, um, benefits of having one, uh, over traditional drones, um, greater flight precision, being able to race, experiencing your trick flying as if you were inside the drone, being in greater control of your photography and more. Um, and then they talk about some alternate uses besides just recreational. So use, utilizing them for search and rescue operations, um, aerial photography for journalism, aerial footage for films, uh, mapping inaccessible terrain, storm tracking, law enforcement surveillance, so on and so on. Um, and then they talk about some of the different things uh, that go into um, the drones themselves, like camera resolution, uh, latency, uh, whether to use a monitor or goggles, flight time. But... Uh, the thing that kind of cracks me up is down here at the bottom, which FPV drone should I get? And of course, an article like this is going to go for the ready-built um, large market drones. And the top runner is the DJI FPV drone. And I'm not saying it's a bad drone. I've never flown it. Um, but I mean, to me, the best drone is the drone you build yourself. Um, I hate articles that are like the, the best. Oh. The best at what? Like, <laughs> exactly. DJI FPV is not the best indoor drone. It's not the best long range. You know, it's the not the best anything. <laughs> it's not the most durable FPV drone or uh, anything like that. Now, you know, granted, it does have some advantages, longer flight times than what we're posting. But um, on the flip side, longer flight time means reduced speed. So. You know, there's, uh, you know, some give and takes. So uh, this was kind of uh, funny. And apparently uh, this con Contixo, I've never heard of it before. Pro FPV drone, you get it at the Home Depot. So, you know, in case you ever... You know, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure so you're not you allowed in those never stores, heard of it. right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, wait, what? <laughs> so, well, at least just... a major newspaper has something about FPV. I guess we can look at that as a as a positive thing, right? Absolutely. All right. So let me grab this. Um, I felt like this was interesting. Uh, Department of Homeland Security awards a $750,000 uh, uh, contract to a Texas small business for urban detection and identification of small unmanned aerial vehicles. So um, this is if you were wondering how they were going to find the drones that don't have remote ID, um, this could be a possibility. So this Texas-based uh, Cobalt Solutions is developing a detection and tracking sensor system that can identify nefarious... Of course, it's nefarious. As long as it uh, only identifies nefarious ones, right? 
I know, right? <laughs> so, unmanned aerial vehicles in an urban environment. As advancements in drone technology provide unlimited opportunities for everyday recreational and commercial use, this also presents a potential attraction for bad actors. Uh, this is coming from DHS senior official perf- uh, Catherine Coulter Mitchell. Um, <clears throat> so, this is using 5G passive radar um, to uh, basically detect UAS um, in the sky. And there, from what I can gather and what I'm understanding, as more and more 5G uh, towers and uh, signal emitters go up in urban environments, um, they can utilize those same towers to uh, essentially detect UAS um, using a radar-type system. So I feel like I've um, seen something like that with like uh, 4G or like normal cell phone towers too, like finding uh, flocks of birds flying around based off of those towers. Mm-hmm. Isn't passive radar an oxymoron? Isn't radar <laughs> by definition uh, a, an emission of a radio frequency that you measure the bounce? Well, and they may be thinking of it as passive in, in regards to it won't require a massive amount of additional equipment because they're going to be or, utilizing those same powers or, to... Or passive in that it's not nothing is required to be on the equi- added to the equipment or the equipage of the drone. Correct. Um, so this is going to be a 24-month Phase 2 contract. So um, if you're wondering how uh, if how they were going to locate drones, uh, there's, they're, they're already starting on it. So... Yeah. Interesting. Let's see. XJet bureaucrats and lawmakers still solving problems that don't exist at great cost and inconvenience to everyone. No passive radar relies on transmitters you don't have. It, it simply works on the reflections from other sources. Oh. Okay. My sense and avoid system uses passive radar. Okay. Um, so thought that was kind of interesting. Um, let's bring up this. Uh, oh, I still need so to listen to his interview. This uh, was uh, some news uh, this last week. Um, Brendan Schulman has now left or is leaving DJI, um, if he hasn't already. Yeah, he's gone. Um, he did. And he has moved on to Boston Dynamics. So um, for whatever you think, uh, of DJI, Brendan Schulman was a huge advocate for recreational flight, um, and is a pilot himself. Um, and uh, he uh, did a lot of work both uh, for DJI and on the DAC and with other organizations to help further along, um, you know, pro recreational attitudes. So um, he's done a lot of great work. I hope. Uh, he continues to be an advocate, which I'm sure he will. Um, but uh, he's moved on over to Boston Dynamics. So um, he's he's helped us. He's helped uh, other. You know, he quietly uh, helped uh, in so many areas and so many companies uh, in recreational as well as small commercial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, with his position in uh, DJI, he had a staff who worked uh, lobbying Congress as well as lobbying um, lawmakers around the world uh, for for drones. So it's uh, this this is uh, not good for us. Uh, it's hard to see uh, Brendan Brendan go, and he's uh, Boston Dynamics, the robot company. He should definitely have an impact there. This is one mm-hmm. very smart guy, a Harvard attorney, and uh, in the best sense. And uh, we wish him the best. And he certainly helped us in FBVFC. Um, one of the things that Brendan's really proud of is the use of drones for good. Um, and uh, he was a big proponent of utilizing drones for search and rescue. Um, and he did mention right here over 730 people uh, rescued thanks to drones yeah. um, to date. So um, that's a huge, huge thing um, to be able to claim uh, for something in our wheelhouse. So, um, big deal there um let's see we've got this this rolled out um i'm sure many people saw this on facebook this week um 
but this went out um, from the from CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure uh, Security Agency, on how to respond to drone calls. Um, and they go through and describe how drones should fly. So, um, so how Basically, should drones they say fly? Drones shouldn't fly. <laughs> if you fly erratically or in a pattern or hover, you're suspicious. So the funny thing is, is, is they put out a very complex set of regulations on a two pager. And I mean, that's great and all, uh, to try and, 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 you know, bring it down to that level, but they miss a couple of things. So like flying at night. So recreational is currently allowed to fly at night, uh, with no requirements on, on lighting or anything like that. But, um, part 107, on the other hand, they do require, uh, three statute mile uh, lighting on the drone. Um, but uh, yeah, they talk about having visible anti-collision lighting when you're flying at night. And they talk about 400 um, feet above a structure, which is only true for part 107. Exactly. Right. Um, also, uh, um, any uh, they talk about in that same sentence, um, you can only fly up to 400 feet in areas not overseen by air traffic control, which is incorrect. Um, because utilizing Lance, there are many areas that are, are overseen by uh, air traffic control that you can fly up to 400 feet, especially um, once you get your Lance approval. Um, so at least they talk about an observer here. Um, not interfering with any type of accident or uh, disaster rel relief. Um, never fly under the influence of drugs and alcohol. That's, I mean, that's pretty uh, good measure there. Um, <clears throat> now, the fun ones is what does a suspicious drone flight look like? So I'm going to go ahead and say uh, just about every flight that I do is a suspicious drone flight. It would be really uh, hard just... to follow these rules and not be suspicious. Right. So erratic, uncontrolled, or other unsafe flight. So I fly freestyle, and I fly. I, I, some would probably say erratically. I mean, because it's I'm like a dog to going squirrel, squirrel, or... squirrel. Exactly. It's like, oh, there's a cool tree. Let me go over there. Or, oh, there's a cool gap. Let me let me try and shoot that over here. Right. Um. <laughs> or consistent flight patterns, or hovering around a fixed site. So. You know, if you're an aerial photographer um, trying to get a good shot, you're going to probably hover. Um, doesn't <laughs> you're, mean you're filming you're, a no, wedding from a distance. No you're going to hover. You're going to, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Map, <laughs> mapping would be like doing a consistent yep. flight pattern over an area. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> no inspections. Um, here's, here's another one taped over lights or other visual masking attempts. How are you so, going to tell that uh, from a distance? I mean, a lot of my ESCs have LEDs on them, and I usually secure my ESCs to the arms with some good old electrical tape. Uh, is you that, are very suspicious. That make me you put your ESCs on the arms? Sometimes, He's not a, yes. not a foreign one person yet. I, 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 I have some foreign ones, but I still like separate ESCs from time to time. <clears throat> All right. Um... So, uh, pretty pretty interesting. A drone flight without a visible operator in the vicinity. So, explain vicinity. Yeah, this is a document that uh, I'd like to. I've had this on my my to do list uh, for a while to try to track down the authors of this and see if they would be, if they would be open to making something a little more reasonable. I mean, yeah. we're we're having fun with it. It's it's not positive. It doesn't set a positive tone. And it could be. I mean, it could take the. Uh, it could start with drones uh, in over the last couple of years saved seven hundred and thirty lives. Yeah. I'm often right. not visible because I'm hiding in my car because it's ten below zero outside, and I'd freeze to death if I was visible. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting. Um, not not the most ideal, and uh, pretty par for the course um, on what we expect coming out of government agency. However. Uh, at least this didn't come from the FAA. Um, it did come from Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. So, yeah, there you go. Um, let's see. 
Um, I have not had a chance to read this. It is a multi-page document, so I'm probably not going to... It's uh, it's attached to this, so uh, I will post this. Um, so, guidebook on airport response to UAS threats. Um, so, uh, this is a short article. I did click into the guidebook. That's what was posted here. I will provide that. I have not had a chance to sit through and read all 44 pages of this, but essentially... The Airport Response to Unmanned Aircraft System Threats Guidebook has been published by the National Safe Skies Alliance through its program for applied research in airport security. Um, Paris is funded by the FAA and modeled after Airport Cooperative Research Program. The guidebook was created to assist airport operators with planning, response, and recovery regarding threats from UAS in unauthorized airspace. Um, Wolpert was contracted to develop the document in 2020 after federal agencies and U.S. Congress identified UAS as a major concern at airports. Um, Wolpert has provided design, engineering, geospatial services uh, to airports and airbases worldwide. Um, you know, I get that uh, we are concerned about drones around airports, but beyond some... You know, I think you had the Las Vegas incident, and was there other major ones? Gatwick was a non-issue. Um, they keep wanting to throw that out there. Didn't happen. Um, but uh, I haven't heard of any major issues of drones around airports. I mean, um, not saying there's not an issue. There was but that one I will... DJI that went rogue and landed near on an airport, but... Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, so Ducky, my squee. I but it's squeeze. It's, uh, yeah, UAS incidents, please. Yes, yeah. I agree with that. Yep, that's a fair comment. Threats uh, are when UAS are actually posing a risk. Incident is when a UAS is identified in airspace where it may pose a risk. Yep, I agree with that. Um, so <laughs> an X jet shows the bodies. So, yes, as we all know, uh, UAS uh, have a great track record um, and is by far the safest uh, form of aviation. Um, and we try to bring that up to the FAA every chance we get. Yes, we do. I think we mention it at least once per meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to hammer that point home. It's the subject of the one of the latest um, uh, DAC uh, Drone Advisory Committee uh tasking groups tg11 uh, yes which has to do with what is the an appropriate uh, safety metric and uh, the faa was um, uh, proposing the the idea of uh, n number of fatalities per um, hundred thousand or n number of flights or x y x number of flights and uh, so that's one of the areas that uh, hopefully our recommendations will be taken up and we won't be talking about number of fatalities because measuring off zero is a bad metric just from a test and measurement and quality uh, perspective unless Absolutely. you want to show that there should be no rules yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it doesn't it's not a good optic so the, that's what i tried to explain the pr on that is just would just be terrible so one of the things i'd like to just kind of broach the subject on is a question that drew brought up to um Jay Merkel. And one of the things that he, that Jay talked about was proving a safety track record, essentially. And uh, he, he recommended doing this through the use of waivers um, and applying for waivers for um, essentially things like flying and shielded operations. And that they're using the, the FAA is using data from the waivers to essentially uh, forecast future rules. Um, and by providing a track record, utilizing their system is a way to get things kind of uh, maybe relaxed would be the first yeah, word that was, comes to mind. It was almost mind. like say, he was saying, well, we don't see a lot of people asking for waivers for this stuff, so people must not want to fly like that. So we don't have proof that they want to, so we can't make mm -hmm. regulations uh, along those lines. So my bounce... 
I oh, followed up with I followed up with Drew on that. Drew Camden, president, wrote a riot, and um, so we're going to create a a waiver request for no visual observer, and uh, then we will publicize that. And uh, um, if uh, if it looks good, we'll publicize it through uh, FPV Freedom Coalition, and Rota Riot will certainly publicize it, and we'll see how many uh, waivers with a request for no visual observer we can get. And now so, keep in uh, keep in mind waivers usually take a while to process. Yes. Uh, well, they it can be part of a day, it can be a couple hours, it can be a week. You know, so it depends. And this one's per, this should be pretty. And it it the depends. You know, can be where you are, where you're flying, as well as what you're flying. And and Alex, you're welcome. Uh, any uh, you probably have uh, more much more experience than any of us on waivers waivers at least for the type of waiver that we're looking at it will probably take at least the 90 days that the faa says uh plus some uh so, at least for the first couple runs once mm -hmm. they get enough then it should be able to become a lot smoother but it will take i'd say for the first one that we get it'll probably take at least a year and then that, that's my estimate is at least a year for the first one and then after that the second one will probably be about maybe so that's a good seven months that's a good, months. Nom that's a good so, nominal value and so we can just make this very public and you know yeah. we've got you know we've got you know, a growing and we'll and with every outlet we have we'll, you know we'll talk about the uh, visual observer waiver requests so we and need then, to make this as like un uneventful as humanly possible for them so like as an example i literally have a farm field right next to you know my neighborhood here mm -hmm. so um we need to essentially desensitize the faa uh to stuff like no visual observer or um you know shielded operations in areas close to you know an airport or you know stuff like that and to do that you need to make it as almost you know they can't say no so things like putting in a waiver to fly in an empty farm field where you know nobody's there or an empty lot that's been vacant for 10 years and or you know stuff like that where they can see oh this is an easy you know approval and then the harder ones as they become desensitized um i think would be a little quicker what do you think alex uh, yes, the the more we do it, the quicker the response time will be. Another thing I wanted to add in was I know one thing that I, I'm also going to be working on. So maybe I'll talk to Drew a little bit too. Is doing one of these for IO. So IO as an event itself has one of these waivers, and that should also be easier to get as well because it's on. Well, it'll be easier, but also be harder because of the size of the event. But because it's at the AMA headquarters, it uh, should add some stuff. But I think that's going to be another place to try to start with too, as well as another thing was when Jay was talking about this waiver, I think he was the main waiver he was looking at was the tactical BV loss. Um, that's the one that's similar to what we would want to get or it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's the closest thing to what we would want to get. Right. And that'd uh, be fly a bando. Oh, you know, this is this is definitely something that that when he said that on on stream, I was like, wait, what? Yeah, and, <laughs> like, and wa waivers are for part one hundred and seven only, correct? Yes, that is correct. Uh, you, I think you still might be able to get waivers under recreational, but it's a much longer and more difficult process. So one of the things, obviously, uh, Dave has already reached out to Drew. We're going to be working on this. Uh, that means I will need to get my part 107 so that I can start submitting waivers because <laughs> I will slam them if I have to. Uh, here's one. Here's one. Here's one. Here's one. You know, and just start doing my part to, as I said, desensitize the FAA to this kind of stuff. Um, because with that, then maybe we could go hey, no visual observer, which has been something that's been talked about since day one of FPVFC, I swear, was, oh, well, we need to get rid of visual observers. Yeah, 
okay, well, here's a path to, to attempt to. So um, this would be a, a great yeah. way to move forward. All right, let me respond to Bruce's comment. None of this makes sense. No, that's not true. This makes a lot of sense because what we're doing is we're following the line that we've been working on for almost three years, which is we're going to work collaboratively with the FAA and we're going to make change. And we've been successful at it, and it does make sense. So, um, you know, and as to the other question, I don't know that they aren't talking to, you know, their peers in other countries. It's government moves at a pace that leaves slime trails behind it, as we all know. Um, and uh, it's, you know, <laughs> it, it, it takes time to get things pushed through. They have, you know, advanced a study on shielded operations uh going to i think three or four different institutions and and being spearheaded by a university so that's progress you know and it took us mentioning it in everything that we do with the faa to get to that point um as well as you know fifty three thousand comments where we put forth you know remote uh, on remote id that shielded operations should be a thing so you know we can work with that as well so it's just, you know, it takes time and I know it's not ideal, but we've kind of learned to deal with the pace of government at this point in three years of doing this. Um, so, you know, it's it's a lot of reminding. It's a lot of continued pushing. It's a lot of, uh, you know, finding uh, ways to work within their system that works for the betterment of the recreational community as a whole. So. Um, hey, some FPVers are old. They may not li live long enough to see the process. Yeah, um, I, I hear you. Um, sometimes you have to force their hand if you actually want change. And the The hard part is, is you know, forcing their hand in something like this is it, it results in you know some sacrificial folk, and I, that's not the way I feel like we as an organization want to do that and and by sacrificial i mean you go out and you fly against the rules and you you know get caught and you go to court and you know you have to fight uh, a, a big fight all the way up to you know supreme court level and it takes that that alone takes years and years and years and years. So forcing yeah. forcing their hand isn't necessarily the quickest path forward. So depending on how so, you look at it, creating a billion waivers is could be forcing their hand. They're like, hey, we can't deal with all these waivers. We need to just have regulation that takes care of it. That's, like, that's why I look at it. Yeah, use the mm -hmm. you know, and we and this was suggested by Jay. Hey, use the process. So I was like, okay, we're gonna use the process. I, so I agree, Dan. that's the way to go at it. You know, and, and further, you know, to, to respond to the CBO, yeah, they haven't granted any organization a CBO status. They came out with the advisory circular. We, along with several other organizations, have responded. Uh, uh, I don't think we have a number, but it we know it wasn't 53,000. Uh, but it was, you know, more than at least in the double or triple digits. So hopefully that uh, made an impact. Um but we're still waiting on the results of that, what the final, you know, CBO uh, kind of status is going to be. And I heard... Go ahead, Hal. I was going to say, I heard Vic Moss said it would be soon that we'd hear the results from that, but uh, so I wasn't sure on that. But, but let, let's, is... let's go yeah. back to that government and slime trail thing. Yeah. Soon could be the end of this year. It could be mid next year. I mean, we've already, how, how far along have we come on, uh, you know, just getting to the CBO point status? Mm -hmm. This was supposed to be done, what, like Couple eight months after, after, months after the reauthorization? Right after October 2018, right? So, you know, it, it's soon is a very relative term when it comes to government. So, um, doesn't that at any rate, mean before the next administration comes in? <laughs> <laughs> You could be right on that. So, uh, but anyway, um, I feel like I've talked a lot. Uh, Dave, do you have any updates from DAT committees or anything that's going on there? Yeah, we're um, the, at the beginning of the call. Uh, before we started up, uh, the Beyond Visual Line of Sight 
Aviation Rulemaking Committee uh, is uh, continues continues to work. It's burning up an enormous amount of time. Um, this and it continues to be uh, something that is uh, the information is embargoed, so we cannot talk about it. And there is a a large meeting tomorrow. I will ask again. Hey, can we get make sure that the uh, report will be uh, made public when this is completed? Uh, we're working toward a November deadline for the final report, and uh, I think we're, we're, by gosh, we'll be on schedule uh, uh, for that date. And so I think it's um, it's safe to say that Dave, you're very involved. You're <laughs> you're speaking a lot. Uh, you're you're spending a lot of time on it. Uh, those are things that they they won't mind us saying. But yeah. Yep. Yep. And and um, on the writing team of one of the four uh, teams. So I, I'm I'm very proud of that and uh the folks that were that i'm working with to do this work are stellar in the industry i mean they're these are ceos of uh, aviation companies and so it's it's a privilege and it's uh it, they're really into it and it's the level of detail is uh, is superb this is not being glossed over and they you know they're there's uh, a lot of folks that their heart and soul is to we need, we want to get this done so that's really positive on the um uh, we're also involved. Um, there is no one else. There is no other organization that has worked on nine uh, drone advisory committees uh, tasking groups. Um, and so we're uh, I'm now working on uh, 11 and 12. And Alex, I think you are on 12, 12. as well. And that's, that's great. 11 is the one that we referenced earlier, which is a review of a white paper that has to do with what is the appropriate safety metric for... Um, small UAS. Uh, I've put forward an idea that we should uh, unearth uh, or exhume the Assure uh, report written in 2016 uh, and utilize something on uh, kinetic energy. And so it's uh, uh, we can establish that drones are, quote, and, and back it up with data that drones are safer than cars. And uh, of course, it's by, uh, in the United States, we lose, uh, I think it's in excess of 40,000 people a year. So we're a lot safer than cars. And uh, so what we're looking for is the kinetic energy values uh, that will uh, provide crash worthiness so we don't kill people. And we'll, that will allow us to fly drones uh, briskly and not uh, like the NPRM for operations over people, which would have uh, forced uh, a speed limit down to about 10 or 15 miles an hour for a five inch drone. So put it, trying to put some practicality uh, into the recommendations. We'll see uh, if that goes forward. Any idea uh, what kind of size and speeds you're proposing or would end up with? Uh, no, I don't. I, I don't have uh, good numbers for that. Uh, but it's. Uh, uh, I, I, I do know that the numbers that the uh, the FAA picked were for, as, as we've um, joked a bit in the past, were for solid objects falling out of space. And so they were not for uh, vehicles with lots of drag uh, or uh, crush zones or uh, the, you know, uh, the ability to, uh, to crash and to, and to stumble into, into the air as opposed to you know, acting like a projectile. Yeah, or yeah so one of the, one of the things So one right. of the things that we figured uh, from the original um, kind of you know kinetic energy calculations is, we were kind of factoring that out for uh, a drone of a certain weight. And essentially you couldn't go over like, it was like 12 miles an hour or 15 miles an hour um, right. before you achieve the kinetic uh, roadblocks that they were utilizing. So um, mass and materials is great, uh, Bruce, but at the same time, there's, you know, there's a little more variable. So which, which mass and materials do you go by? Do you go by the, you know, what the battery's made of since, you know, combined that's probably got the most weight in it, or do you go by the carbon fiber? Um, you know, it, it's a little bit more of a hitch and conversation. So, and the reason the, so for the public optic safer than a car is the, is the phrase that I'm pushing and uh well i'm a mechanical engineer so yeah i think i can understand kinetic energy um and i think it's simple enough that it can be tested and we can test it for categories we don't need to test uh, every individual uh, drone and so we can establish uh, thresholds uh, for probably weight categories uh, akin to operations over people 
Uh, and then within those thresholds, it's it really is quite easy for uh, a company to test uh, and then uh, establish that okay, you know, this uh, this size, this class drone, it's under this weight uh, can uh, can support because what we'll find is uh, a clustering of data around, say, a five-inch drone, and then we'll see we'll find clustering of kinetic energy around a, a heavy lift drone that's doing uh, uh, videography. So that's uh, that's the uh, uh, TG11. Alex, did you want me to uh, uh, provide an update for 12, or did you want to do that? I haven't been able to stay on topic much for 12, so. Okay, you're well, and you, you yeah. Know, engineering school is absolutely Kinda the right priority. That's, that is that is the right priority. So I think I'm only able to join like 30 minutes a week. That's okay. Uh, test group 12 is about how do we instill aviation specific STEM uh, into K through 12 curricula across the United States, and so we're going to take six months to work on this. We've got a great bunch of people uh, working uh, on it. We're doing research across uh, both uh, in school, public school, private school, outside extracurricular activities. Uh, and we've got some fantastic examples, things like AOPA, uh, You Can Fly, um, I, I get there, it's flight tests, FT STEM program, yeah. seven, 700 teachers uh, have a, enrolled in that uh, program. Um, so there are there are lots of individual solutions to the problem, and the idea is, can we make this from a, a tops down view easier for people in local school districts to apply it, and also to potentially uh, establish something of a here's a model or at least a uh, uh, I, I hesitate I'm hesitating around using the word standard because we don't want to say a standard, but a um, a format that can be uh, replicated and replicated easy and will comply with the 21 standards required to be stem so we think that's uh, uh we think that's that's positive and uh, that that's an area that we're are excited to be working on and we will be reaching out to the department of education as well so and this is uh this is one of these longer, deeper topics, but it uh, it should help uh, our children, and uh, if you're uh, Bruce's or my age grandchildren, so it's uh, it's exciting. That's or my another friends, topic. if you're my age. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, well played. Um, which is a point that we should remember: kids get excited about something around age ten, that and so that's that's been proven. And so we want to reach down at least a third or fourth grade, and we're going to see how how young uh, we can go. We know that there are lots of examples of kids flying RC, five years old, six years old, and kindergarten, so, pre-K. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not a bad idea. Yeah, so it, it's exciting, and it's uh, uh, pretty far afield from uh, remote ID and uh, C two regulations, but it's uh, absolutely uh, beneficial to uh, the the community and the country. So just going on record here to throw out, Alex makes me feel really old sometimes. So, I mean, he must make you feel ancient, Dave. Ancient. <laughs> this is all, all white. Uh, so let's see. Perhaps we should be pushing for an international meeting of UAS regulators so that they can all learn from each other's successes and failures without wasting so much money by reinventing the wheel at every turn. I would say, you know, that's not a horrible idea, but at the same time, I think UAS regulations are so new in a lot of countries, uh, again, speaking in government's time, um, that I don't think there's been a lot of time figuring out what the successes and failures are. Um, the hard part is, is that we, as people who have to work within these regulations, we see a lot of failure because we feel like it's restricting. What is their definition of success versus failure? Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, kind of going back and forth on that. And I think that's where organizations like the DAC and um, ASTM and whatnot kind of are stepping forward to help answer those questions. That's why there's tasking groups. That's why there's uh, meetings on 
setting a standard for remote ID, um, all these different things that go on behind the scenes that a lot of people don't necessarily know about or care about. The hard part is, is that regulations like uh, what we're dealing with, what we as an organization are dealing with on a week to week basis, it's not entertaining. It's not um, super engaging for the community as a whole. Um, it's not until like you hit an inflection point like remote ID where it becomes, you know, an oh crap moment and everybody freaks out. And that's when you start getting massive response. If the community as a whole were more engaged in the process from beginning to end, um, and I'm not even saying to the detail level that we are as an organization, but even more so just, you know, coming to the meetings, understanding what's going on, what's happening behind the scenes, giving feedback. Um, that's where I feel like we as a community could, could potentially stand up. Um, so it's a little, it's a, it's a give and take kind of thing. I'd be worried. So, I'd be afraid only the worst ideas would spread around the world. What's that, Dan? I'd be afraid that only the worst ideas would be the ones that the regulators would spread to each other. Right. And, you know, there's, there's, again, there's, there's give and take. I, India's drone regulations are very strict. Um, Canada's, you know, give or take um, a little bit. I, I still feel like we're, you know, still, you know, in the we're able to do more kind of thing. Now, there's a question of, you know, what level do you need to be at in terms of recreational versus part 107? But, you know, and, and the the money involved in, in moving up that level. But at the same time, you know, if you don't think remote ID isn't going to be a thing in a lot of these other countries, you're smoking something because it's going to. Um, and we know this because, you know, most of the time, once a regulation's kind of adapted adopted here, it kind of tends to roll around the world. Um, and so if we can go into remote ID with the, you know, the most amount of freedom, then that will translate hopefully, uh, across the rest of the world. So, and, and more on the idea of sharing the regulations with other regulators, that's, it's something that PVFC has been trying to do whenever we meet with the FAA, we do point out from time to time, Hey, you know, there's a shielded operations thing. And I think we've gained a little traction mm -hmm. with that. And I know Dave has multiple times mentioned, hey, Canada's got this 250 gram underneath that limit. You can do what you want thing. And hopefully that'll gain some traction eventually as well. Yeah, and I think, I mean, more so than anything, we still, I mean, 250 grams in the U.S. is still pretty free. I mean, there you don't have to register. You don't have to have a remote ID or you won't have to have a remote ID. Unless you're part 107. Uh, unless you're part 107. Um, you still need to do Lance to, to fly in controlled airspace, but I mean, that's not that big of a deal. It takes 30 seconds. So, you know, I feel like 250 grams is easy peasy here. So, you know, by, you know, removing that burden, um, even further, I mean, the only thing that grants you is like 50 feet closer to the airport. So, you know, it's just like, doesn't make a whole lot of, you know, it doesn't affect a lot of flights, I think, overall. So a lot of the work, a lot of the work we're doing is increasing our reach uh, dramatically. And so it, it may not say uh, FBVFC on it, but the work that the guys did for the Drone Safety Week, we're involved in the monthly droning on with the FAA and a, a group of uh, retailers, manufacturers, influencers. And so I would suggest our uh, reach will grow uh, by a couple of step functions uh, over the next year. And our uh, reputation is uh, solid uh, in Washington with the FAA. So that makes us uh, productive and useful. So as Josh said, when there's an issue, uh, we're able, and what's a good level of involvement in my mind, out from the broader recreational population is to be available to be asked one or two questions at a key moment. To, ask, to be asked maybe three questions about re remote ID, for example, back when we had uh, the NPRM cooking. And there'll be, there'll be other opportunities. There will be a BB loss uh, NPRM. So we'll have, uh, we'll have that opportunity again. 
And I feel like, you know, there's there's a lot of information that comes from a lot of different sources when it comes to regulations. Um, and I'm not saying we're the end all be all, you know, uh, you know, we, you know, we get things wrong sometimes, or, you know, we have to come back and say, eh, we explained this wrong. We got to do this. But for the most part, I feel like, you know, even if the community could just, you know, focus on just being educated on what the regulations actually are and just kind of speaking consistently, um, I feel like that would go a long way. So, you know, and again, I'm not proposing that we're the end all be all. I don't, honestly care where the community gets their information from as long as it's the correct information so um that's kind of you know rant over <laughs> and to uh expand on what uh, xjet and duck my squee are talking about we are also very concerned that people are not joining the hobby because they're afraid of what the faa's regulations are and what they think they will be in the future and we're doing what we can to try to help that. Absolutely. And I, I, there was actually one of those questions uh, on one of the panels that Alina was hosting. And I was just like, no, go buy a drone. Um, just because you buy a drone today and get into the hobby today doesn't mean you're not going to be able to fly that drone two years from now. Um, it means that you will potentially have to get a, a broadcast module and throw it on your legacy drone um so that you can continue to fly as you do today so you know i'm not saying you know that remote id is good uh, i'm not saying that uh it's not uh going to have some impact on the hobby what i am saying is it was going to come one way or the other it was at this point mandated by congress and the only way that that can get undone is if that section of the reauthorization is basically, you know, done away with in the next reauthorization. So, you know, the FAA, for all intents and purposes, um, is not necessarily the bad guy here. It was, you know, by the mandate of Congress, this is kind of the path we had to go down, and then we work to work within that. Um, when the next reauthorization comes up, then we work to make changes there at the at the base level of all these regulations um and that's where you know we're gonna you know we're gonna need the community to reach out to their congress people and say hey let's do away with this or hey let's go back to um you know not being able being able to promulgate new rules for for recreational or you know so on and so forth or hey you know let's make some a different subset of rules for recreational versus commercial or FPV needs its own kind of, you know, heading over here because they specialize in a lot of things that, you know, may be redundant for other people like visual observers, you know? So, um, those are different paths that we can take and, and those paths will be coming up, you know, over the next couple of years and, and we just want the community to be educated and be able to speak to it once the time comes and duck my yeah, squeeze I'm, I'm point, pointing out another thing that happens often online is that somebody will will fly and do something maybe a little bit questionable and post some video of it and then the the feedback they get is extremely negative and very unhelpful soul shattering it, it would be great <laughs> if people gave them like constructive criticism instead of just like flat out telling them they're breaking the rules go away you're yeah you know, right if they were a little bit gentler about it it's like hey do you know the regulations you know here's what you can do not to make make things worse but yeah that's like, yeah that's that's yeah, the to internet. that point to that point we were having a conversation around if you have uh, a, a very powerful drone from a perspective of autonomy do you want to have to have uh, a fair amount of certification and education in order to use that aircraft? And it, this is, you know, it's, it's an open discussion from the perspective of, well, gosh, it can, it can fly itself, literally. So how smart do you have to be to fly a 787 today? Well, the answer is darned smart, and you have to be completely uh, certified. And so 
this is a, uh, a question I think that will, you know, I lean toward more education is good um, and because it will, it will help us and it'll also solve some of the problems that uh, uh, Duck My Squee uh, was uh, talking about where regulations are difficult for newcomers to the hobby. Well, if you have a little bit of education, recreational regulations are pretty simple. We've got it in, in one page uh, on our website. It's not that not that difficult, and if you fly under two fifty grams, you can fly some reasonably capable uh, drones, and then it's all, it's even easier to comply with those drones. And so there are ways through this. There's and we do think that mentoring is a key aspect of it. If you can find someone else to help you out, if there's a group, a community, uh, this is one of the reasons why I'm so uh, high on FPV racing because that forces you to get together with people who really know what they're doing. Unless, of course, you're working with Alex, but that, you know, just, <laughs> just, just kidding, Alex. <clears throat> yeah, I want to respond real quickly to Galaxy here, um, where he, he says uh, it makes him weary of taking the more diplomatic approach with the FAA. They seem or seem to have already uh, have taken the most accurate path to kill the hobby. I would fundamentally disagree with that. Um, just in... The past six months in meetings that we've had with the FAA, um, this does not seem to be the case. Um, if it were the case, they wouldn't waste money and manpower on meeting with a FPV organization. They wouldn't have uh, separated out um, different kind of classifications in their documents like this last advisory circular where they mention FPV countless times in it. Um yeah. They wouldn't have set up a uh, on the FAA symposium. They wouldn't would not have set up a, mm -hmm. a recreational panel that I led. Right. So, so Galaxy you know, Fifty Five would be interested to know, you know, who and what are you working with? But, you know, this is you know we get weary too, um, but uh, would love to work together on some of this. Yeah. So, you know, I I I just don't feel like they are out to kill the hobby. I think that. Um, and I think Jay even mentioned it on the panel the other night was, you know, FPV and recreational is a way to get future pilots um, excited about aviation. Um, and I feel like FPV in general, whether you fly wings or you fly drones or even if you're a traditional modeler, this is how you get people excited in aviation. And those people could be the next uh you know professional drone pilot they could be the next uh fighter pilot um they could be um the next commercial pilot you know they could be the next astronaut so um this is how aviation builds its base and uh, i think uh, that their understanding of that has now shifted a little bit and besides traditional model aviation which has been around for decades almost a century at this point um you know fpv is a new kid on the block and we're you know we're having to go through the pains that um come with current modern regulation that you know model aviation didn't necessarily have to go through until you know more recently so you know the growing pains are rough don't don't get me wrong it, it gets exhausting sometimes and um, but at the same time, you know, the work is, is, is important to us. And we don't yeah. really, there's no proof of this we can show, but I definitely get the strong feeling that the, there's a lot of people within the FAA who don't like the direction the FAA has publicly been going, but it's not so much the FAA that's driving that direction. It's other government organizations putting really mm -hmm. strong pressure on the FAA saying, hey, we think bad people can do all these crazy things. You've got to stop it. And the FAA is in a really right. tough and place. To Dan, and to Dan's point, one of those those things uh, with remote ID was network attach um, or network remote ID broadcast. And so instead of network, we have just broadcast. And why is that? Because we were able to, for now, because we were able to get 53,000 responses. So the, the comment uh, up here about are we making the mistake of believing what the FAA tells us, that's insulting to our intelligence and it's insulting to the way we're trying to work. So uh, I, 
you know, we're, uh, we've stated what, uh, how we're approaching this. We've gotten, you know, results and, uh, you know, we're, it's working. And we have a, as I said, we have an excellent reputation and the support that we need from the community is, you know, when there is a, uh, an issue that comes up, you know, we're, we're going to ask for feedback and we really want, uh, honest, uh, feedback. All right. So, uh, we're a little over time here. Uh, it's been, uh, a little more intense than we usually get on our on our town halls, but good conversation at, at the same time. So um, please uh, feel free to join back on uh, in two weeks when we have the next one. Um, and uh, we will be happy to cover this stuff some more. Um, so with that, I will give you guys back the rest of your evening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we do appreciate it. Please, uh, you know, if you know... Uh, Anybody who would be interested in, you know, having these discussions, invite them to our meetings. Uh, we, we pop it up on Facebook every week or every two weeks uh, when we have these meetings. And um, we absolutely love engaging uh, in these types of conversations. Um, so uh, with that, have a great night.